Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM. We are here. I'm Eric Van Allen. And as always, I have my co-host, Kenneth Shepard here. How you doing, Ken? Yearning for death. Look, the, how is that any different from, from any other week? That's what we it's not, for. but you didn't ask if it was different. You just asked how I am. You're right. You're right. But look, we have reason to be excited today, Ken. We have we reason. Do. We have reason to yearn for more death. Is that the more positive? I don't know. Anyways, Chase Carter is here. Less death. <laughs> hey, howdy. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Chase uh, is is a wonderful person here who has been a, a friend of the show for a, a good while leading up to uh, us finally having him on. And then once we got Dragon Age going, we were like, we finally got to get Chase on here. We got to get him talking. Uh, those of you who remember from last week, we did announce that we'd have a different guest on this week, but we basically had to call an audible last second. So if you are playing along with the show, if you are trying to stick with the episodes, uh, today we will be talking about Aveline and Meryl. Uh, for right now, we plan on hopefully having our regularly planned episode that was for today for Fenris and Isabella next week, but we will see. Play it by ear a little bit. In general, if you need to like take a week off or whatever, or, like hold off on listening to the episode just so you don't get spoiled, it, you know, it is what it is. We're trying to make things work as, as real life stuff comes up because it does sometimes, and we try to try to work with that with our guests. So Chase is here today. Chase, uh, how would the lovely people out there know you? What are what are you known for out there in the world? Uh, yeah, you probably best know me uh, for the freelance games writing that I tend to do. You might have seen me on Fanbyte, US Gamer, uh, where I had some just recently had some strong uh, Mass Effect opinions. Yes, you did. Um, I sure did. Uh, so I hope I didn't make any mortal enemies. Enemies, and y'all brought me on to exact some sort of like weird revenge on audio. <laughs> no, uh, well, maybe seen the movie Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just recently, I also started a podcast of my own because listen, it's that time, and I'm a white guy in my 30s, so it's time to embrace my destiny. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I guess you can find me on Twitter at Chase Writes, and you can also do the the tabletop podcast that we do, which is a sort of mixture of a like a one session let's play and then a discussion of different sort of like smaller systems we're at at rules rolls pod on twitter so either one of those places is a good place to find what i do heck yes let i want to bring up that mass effect piece real quick not in this is not sure this is not a pitchfork mob situation um obviously that piece was published at a at the outlet that i work for so um it, it clearly at least passed some level of muster though the can i'm sure is just lighting the torch right now um but it was a really cool piece about the idea that uh it it was looking at mass effect in a context i don't think we covered as much on our show because it was almost in like the pop culture context of when it was made because um it it kind of came out in that era of post 9 11 uh, 24 world and the idea of looking at shepherd as like a jack bauer style character and then all the the imagery that brings up is is really interesting i was just wondering if you want to like talk a little bit about that yeah i started because uh around january this year i started a full mass effect really trilogy uh replay um and as i was playing through it it as a lot of games tend to do in my life it hit kind of differently for me like this mm-hmm. is something that, that i talk about why you should go back and replay old games especially ones that you love because you're a different person throughout your life mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. things will speak to you you know uh and this time specifically like although i still loved all the high points and all the great things that that series and basically bioware games in general are known for 
I still, at the very end, came away with this feeling of, like, being, at a certain level, really dissatisfied with the narrative beats and the way it sort of wrapped up. Not talking about the ending, just sort of, like, the end of that journey as, like, a whole narrative arc. And so I started kind of thinking about it and why that was and why I wanted something more from that story. And it, it basically came down, and if you read the piece, you can see, I basically want Mass Effect or a story like Mass Effect to be a little bit more revolutionary because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, soldier uh, Shepard is a soldier and can only act within the role of a soldier, which means any sort of change that they bring about is change from a, uh, a military standpoint, carrying out state violence, uh, whether that be for good or ill. And so I talked to some of the writers, like, Chris Latoile and uh, Chris Hepler, as well as some academics to kind of like help me give some language to that feeling. And it ended up being a really interesting discussion about like what kind of stories you can tell within a framework that is a power fantasy of an RPG, um, where that falls down and still what kind of like real high points and what, what you can learn if you were to play through the game uh, right now. Mm. It's, it's really interesting because, and the reason why I specifically wanted to bring it up was because I've been having similar feelings as I've been playing through Dragon Age 2 right now, mm-hmm. and that's this this idea that a lot of these Bioware games, especially the ones that we've talked about so far on the show through Mass Effect and Dragon Age, the player character tends to be in a position of, like, state power, right? You know, in the case of Shepard, they are a specter, they work for a government, they work yeah. ostensibly for a military uh, and in the case of Dragon Age, you're either a warden who is kind of basically the Dragon Age equivalent of a specter, although looked sure, yeah. more down upon, I guess. Uh, and if you're not a specter in in Origins, you're definitely one in Inquisition, where you kind of just become the Inquisitor who is almost forming a new world order and a new government around themselves and operating within, I guess, the bounds of the chantry and and different like governments and things like that but dragon age 2 has been the one where i i think the story is interesting and i kind of brought pieces of this up to ken off podcast a couple weeks ago because i was just kind of thinking about it but the story of dragon age 2 is like hawk coming up through kirkwall and basically rising from the bottom of kirkwall to the top of kirkwall mm-hmm. and how that changes the way that we view this character over the course of the game. I was thinking about how Hawk's perception changes over the course of the game versus someone like, say, Anders, who is kind of always on the outskirts, never rises up within the system the way that Hawk does and how that kind of leads to the things that happen in this game, but ultimately ends up making it an interesting conflict because we get to see what that revolution looks like without it being enforced or enacted by a government force or a state force, so... Dragon Age 2 continues to be a fascinating game. (laughs) It has a lot of parallels to the most interesting, at least in my eyes, Mass Effect game, which is Mass Effect 2, which, as I was speaking to some people, is where they start to kind of question those those perceptions, right? Yes. Um, I, look, you already appealed to my my tastes (laughs) by saying that Mass Effect 2 is the best one, but I know know Ken is seething. I said most interesting. Okay, okay, that's that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> I know Ken is seething at this moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, Chase and I had talked about it like after the piece went live. Like, I don't disagree with a lot of sentiments in his piece, and it was something that I wrote, not, not like a similar thing per se, but like something that was kind of adjacent to it, like right before we started this podcast, where it was more of like, 
playing through the Mass Effect trilogy is unsettling in a way that is more something more I internalize of like Shepard being this version of who I was at a certain point in my life and Ryder being a very different person because I played as him at a very different point in my life as well. So I get that like I get where you're coming from, Chase, where you talk about like you know you need to go back to things and kind of reassess how you feel about them later. And then you know that was like the very premise of this show, like to come back and play through Mm -hmm. literally every moment again and talk about it and kind of process how we felt about it in you know however many years removed. Yeah, I think I think Ken's piece specifically that uh, you're talking about is a great object lesson in that like revisiting things and seeing how perspectives change because you have changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And listen, all readings are valid. I'm not here to say like mine was (laughs) the ultimate one. And if you like still like those games, you're you need to go read a book or something like that. No, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the moral of the story is go read a book. Yeah, I mean, nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, It has been interesting. I've I've recently been replaying. I started up again last night. Uh, Alpha Protocol. If you've ever played that game, mm, yeah. Um, and if you want to see what it would be like if, like, Commander Shepard was just full on Jack Bauer in in a video game, like that's what that video game is. It's the most like twenty four ass video game I've ever played. Um, I would never make Ken play it for this podcast because you have to play uh, a straight dude who mm. is who is seducing the ladies and such you have to be like a james bond type in that game uh Not which is house. actually what ken's nightmare is so <laughs> 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 um but it's it's one that uh i think i started feeling a lot of when i read that piece i was feeling a lot of that of man i really liked alpha protocol at the time i still like alpha protocol but oh boy I, I was a different person when i played this the first time and and now yeah. i'm i'm a much different person and i'm seeing much different things here uh but we're, we're not here to talk about alpha protocol or even mass effect we're here to talk about dragon age 2 uh we have two companion quests up on the docket today we have aveline who we'll be talking about her various side quests uh in act i believe it's act two yeah i keep wanting to say we're in act one because i always feel like the start of the game up to the deep roads is just kind of a prologue and the game doesn't really start until you're out of the deep roads Mm -hmm. but that's like a full 10 hours or something so um we have aveline's quest in act two as well as meryl's we're going to talk about meryl and in what i expect will be a very interesting discussion about this character because good lord i bet uh so let's start with aveline though and and chase tell us a little bit about why you wanted to talk about aveline uh this this character uh i chose aveline because the first time i played this game i used aveline because she was a tank and Mm -hmm. for no other reason than that i I didn't even hate Aveline. I was full of nothing but apathy for this character the mm. first time I played Dragon Age 2. Um, and with every subsequent playthrough, I have grown to love and appreciate this woman more and more to the fact that I am 100% ride or die for Aveline Villain. Um, it doesn't <laughs> get, that bond does not get closer between whatever hawk I'm playing uh, and uh, that stalwart woman she's fantastic she's tragic in very mundane i think relatable ways that gets away from like the high fantasy that these the series is known to like sort of weave through its characters uh and that just makes her all the more relatable so i think she's a great sort of foil to some of the more uh weirdly fantastical companions that hawk can have uh, or Mm. that any of the the characters can have in the 
uh, in the games. She's she's kind of an interesting character too because I feel like she like you mentioned she like bucks a lot of conventions in a way like she is this mm-hmm. this character is very much like I'm the captain of the guard I'm married to my work and there's like a little bit of that aspect to it like I think of all the it's like the Catherine Heigl movies where it's always like uh it's a hardworking businesswoman and then some dude shows up and like romances her and shows her there's more to life out there than just work except. Aveline is the person who falls in love and then still is like, it's all about the work. <laughs> You've got to fit into my life. Um, but the other thing I like about Aveline is that she just is this character who I feel like she has this very subtle, but like long arc of growth throughout the the game because mm. her, her story beats aren't as grand as characters like say Fenris or Anders or Meryl. Uh, it's, it's, like way way lower key than many of the other companions are but you get to see her like when you first meet her it's at one of the worst days of her life right Mm -hmm. and then throughout the game you're kind of watching her gradually learn to cope and deal with that and move on from it and i feel like that's such an interesting arc that none of the none of the other characters really seem to get except for maybe varick because the rest of them are all kind of dealing with these great personal struggles and long-standing feuds and rivalries it's like for abilene that stuff happened you know at this point where we're at in the game years ago and she's just trying to get through the day-to-day now and hawk is helping her get through the day-to-day um Hmm. also i should i've brought it up every time we've talked about abilene at this point but when i went on to look at what mods there are for pc dragon age 2 one of the mods was to make abilene hotter and I despise the idea of that mod entirely. <laughs> uh, one, because it looked like they just took the model from Morrigan from Origins and then like put her face on Aveline's and it looks goofy as hell. And they put like some anime hairdo on it. But also because of the idea that you need to make Aveline hot is just like a blatant misreading of what these games are. <laughs> yeah, the mod definition of horny just continues to be the most disappointing and bland uh definition of horny Mm -hmm. yeah it's horny for one very specific type of girl uh Uh as you tend to find in some areas but oh there's there's a rabbit hole to go down with dragon age 2 mods (laughs) that we don't have time to talk about um so keeping with the idea that everything with aveline is kind of low-key and and not as large the first uh the first time we we start to talk to Aveline earlier in this this chapter is that uh, in in a quest I think on the it's just called calling on the captain or whatever it was basically just kind of a conversation that you have with Aveline. We start to ask her a little bit about how she's settling in as the guard captain, how which things she's are been going. doing for three years. Yeah, which she's been doing for three years. You know, it's about time we checked in on her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we stop by, we say hi, um, and it kind of just turns into a dish session which i i greatly enjoyed this very much felt like a a hawk and aveline were on slack and they just dm'd for a bit and got it out of their (laughs) got out of their (laughs) system um but it's the the interesting part i found about this one is that there's really only one major i guess you'd say branch in this you know every companion quest kind of has different ways that can go different points that you can get uh like friendship or rivalry for this for Aveline's it was purely just do you encourage her 
to stay with d this job and be like, oh, come on, you love how tiring and how thankless this job is. You'd love it. You can't do anything else. Or do you like encourage her to say like, hey, maybe you should just leave then. Like, I this was kind of the point where this quest hit a little home for me because <laughs> I was like, all of what Avalyn was saying is I've like, oh, I've felt that way about jobs before where I'm just like, oh, you know, I, I care so much, but we're working with what we got and the world against us. And, and it's like very much like job this, job that, job this, job that. And now the table's flipped and I get to be in the position where I can tell her like, hey, uh, you're, you're taking this a little too much. Like you need to calm down. Uh, it's a little bit of introspection for me <laughs> in this quest. I did ultimately encourage her because A, I wanted those friendship points, but B, uh, look, I, I, I gained the system. We've talked about this. <laughs> but also because uh, I do think that for Aveline, it's not just about the job, but about the work that she does while she's doing it. And I do agree with the sentiment that even if she wasn't a guard captain she'd be finding some way to like help the people of kirkwall in some way mm. uh that she's not somebody she's never been somebody you can sit on the sidelines right and mm. so um I'm, I'm kind of curious about how y'all had feelings about this sort of like character beat and we'll start with with ken i guess yeah she i mean to me being like oh you should quit, you should just quit then if it's so frustrating you just feel like i'm very weird misreading of like a conversation that you're having with somebody you're supposed to have known for years at this point it's like almost like a very dismissive kind of yeah approach and i think that's kind of like the rivalry route for her to be kind of like oh you care too much and it's annoying to watch and you know you can even like watch her relationship with isabella be that way like they are very diametrically opposed and it's like it's almost like you are tacitly siding with one or the other depending on how you like I guess approach Aveline in these conversations and so and, and that's gonna play into like her actual quote unquote actual quest where it's like you gotta kind of be willing to go at her pace and be aware of how she operates rather than being kind of like dismissive of the, the various problems that she like the, the things that she views as problems at least mm -hmm. yeah so what do you think Chase about all this yeah, um, one of my this this sort of highlights one of my favorite things about the character. The thing that I've come to really appreciate is that Aveline is uh, I like to say like cursed with a conscience in a city like mm. Kirkwall. That definitely is a curse. Where it's like you said, uh, Eric. Like if she wasn't a guard captain, she'd be finding some way to help. And so like all of this sort of conversation that you have really hits on the points that this like all of that complaining she's doing is from a place of care because like. Mm. I think, you know, as all three of us are journalists, like, we've done that sort of thing. Like, there are so many problems with this job, especially now, but, like, <laughs> we, we we truly and deeply, like, love the work and care about it, and we find, like, a, a sort of, like, a, a calling there. And so, like, that complaining is only just sort of, like, a way to deal with the day-to-day -day problems, but still, like, sort of, like, stokes the cinder of that mm. uh, true calling at the, at the core of it. And so... Yeah, it's just, yeah, this is just nice, wonderful, sort of, like, mundane character introspection stuff, and I love it. I like almost that that as we start to, you know, this is the first episode we've done so far that's about the companion quest, so we've got, like, a little bit of room to, to dig into it, but I like that in this game, companion stuff is not necessarily, like, it doesn't feel so, um, like, like, streamlined, I guess I would say. You know, you have the typical cadence at which 
a companion develops over the course of a Bioware game. And it's, especially if you play through Mass Effect, you get a feel for the rhythm very fast. It's like, okay, I do a main mission, then I come back, I talk to the person, they're going to have like a new dialogue that I get to kind of explore. You know, maybe I get some Paragon Renegade points. And after I've talked to them X number of times, or after we hit a certain point in the story, they're going to come to me and they're going to be like, hey, I've got a thing I want you to do, and then it's loyalty mission time, and then you've you've earned that person's loyalty, and that's yeah. Unless you're romancing, that's pretty much like the end of it, right? That's like the end of that character's arc, personal arc in that game, and it gets so codified in Mass Effect, especially that they get to a point where it's like, hey, you've got you've got someone standing next to the galaxy map who's like, hey, so somebody wanted to talk to you. Uh, just, they want to give you a new quest go talk to them <laughs> like, mm. um the thing i like about dragon age 2 is that i i don't think i realized it at first like how much of the stuff you could easily just not do and and never know about it but also like how not i don't want to say toss away but just how i don't know routine some of some of these quests if you want to call them that feel this idea that an entire quest is just Hawk checking in on Aveline and talking, and that's it. It's just like a conversation about their lives and how they feel about things. And it might result in some friendship or rivalry change, but really like it reflects the fact that these characters spend time around each other, that they spend time with each other, and that yeah. almost like the routineness of this makes me feel like this is not the first time they've had this sort of hangout in Aveline's office. It's probably not the last time either, unless it, you know, went really bad. But <laughs> um, it's it, it just continues to reinforce this idea that everyone in Kirkwall, like Kirkwall, is a small town. Like you know, it's theoretically a large city, but it, by the point in the game that that I'm at least personally at, which is like near the end of Act Two right now, um, it starts to feel like a small town. Like you know everybody, like you know where everyone is. You know where they hang out. You know where they frequent. You know where to go on a Friday night to see all your friends, like that sort of thing. Um, and and this really reinforces that for me. Now let's talk about the big mission for Aveline, uh, which is the Long Road, which is kind of her big companion quest for Act Two. Uh, this this comes up after we've done the Black Powder Courtesy and and uh or we have before we turn it in but whatever it's 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 sometime around when we have done black powder courtesy to some extent uh aveline needs a favor uh <laughs> first first we deliver a package to a, a certain guardsman who you might remember um mm-hmm. uh showed up in act one was the was the guardsman that we helped out in act one uh donick <laughs> and uh, we we go over and we hand the package to him, and we're just supposed to come back with his reaction and, and how he feels about it. And then she posts up the list of who's going to be on patrol, and we're supposed to come back, engage the reaction. And it, it kind of turns into this back and forth where we're playing a little bit of games here. Uh, it becomes pretty clear pretty fast that uh, Aveline has a bit of crush on 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 donic uh so before we we get into the really fun bits was this just like bonkers for y'all the first time you played it like 
it it felt really bizarre to me to all of a sudden have this quest and this is coming from like young eric this is this is eric who had just started playing these sorts of games and stuff but the idea that i'd been playing this game where all my side quests amount to like oh we're gonna go kill a dragon we're gonna go you know fight up a mountain or go into the the deep caves and this one was like this like back and forth like almost designed to be like a fetch quest of sorts where you are gradually uncovering like oh this is what's going on with Aveline. Mm. Like, oh, I see what's happening here. <laughs> so my question to you is, did you... Okay. Around this time when, like, Dragon Age and Mass Effect were kind of, like, going back and forth, were you playing them as they were coming out? Uh, so Mass Effect, I played those as they came out. Uh, mm. Dragon Age... I'm trying to remember. I always associate these games specifically with where I was when I played them. So Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, I would have still been in high school, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dragon Age Origins, I think I played my freshman year of college. And then maybe Dragon Age 2 would have either fallen into that year or the next year. Sophomore year Mm -hmm. gets kind of hazy for multitude of reasons but (laughs) (laughs) um yes somewhere somewhere in that so i was i was aware and i played dragon age 2 before i played mass effect 3 so okay uh i was aware of bioware conventions let's say right so i was playing them all like kind of as they came out and there was a point between like 2010 to 2013 or so where, like, a new Bioware game was coming out every year, and it was, you know, back and forth between Mass Effect and Dragon Age. So, by this point, Mass Effect 2 had come out, like, a year prior, and I had played that game probably more than I've ever played a video game in my life. And so I was kind of, like, familiar with things like Thane's Loyalty Mission or Samara's that are, like, these, like, very rare reprieves from all of, like, the gaminess of it, where, like, it's not all about, you know, okay, we're gonna go kill somebody. So, like, this was, like... Because a lot of this, at this point, we've already seen that, like, Dragon Age 2 was bringing in a lot of lessons from Mass Effect. So it was, like, realizing that I finally had found the mission that was going to be like that. Mm. Or, you know... I mean, and there generally aren't any more of them that I really recall. At least not at, least not at the point we've gotten so so far. Um, everything else has resulted in combat in one way or another. I mean, granted, this one does too, but, like, it's got, like, a, a non-insignificant portion of it is not... Well, so let me let me put it this way. Um, the the ones you brought up, which from Mass Effect 2 were like the Samara loyalty mission and stuff like that. Uh, those at least still had like a center of conflict, right? Like, oh, we have to go take care of Morden's daughter, or uh, Morden, who is my daughter, who is an Ardot Yakshi. And Morinth. Like this, God, sorry, Morinth. <laughs> Talk um, about like a spectrum of character had, there. Had a Freudian slip there. Um, we got to take care of Morden. I'm like that one dude that was at our panel at Pack South. It was like mm. <laughs> dead quiet when we asked him if he killed Morden. <laughs> Shoutouts to that guy, man. I think yeah. about him at least once a week. <laughs> like, Alternatively, not shoutouts to that man. <laughs> look, sometimes you got to own what your brand is, all right? Um, his brand is maintaining Golden the genophage. <laughs> um, but those at least still had like the air of Mass Effect around them. I would say like there was never, maybe not even until Mass Effect Three, and you started seeing stuff like Citadel. There was never this idea of like the banal, 
in these games, right? Like, and that's again, that's what I get from Aveline's like just general all of her side stuff is very much like, hey, this is what day to day life looks like in Kirkwall, and not this sort of glamorous. We're you know even when you're doing stuff like Samara's mission, you're still you know you're you're hunting a killer and you're looking through a a dead girl's room and interrogating i mean interrogating is probably too harsh a word but like questioning her mother about her whereabouts and then hunting down the killer and playing this dangerous game of cat and mouse uh wolf and prey with this like ardot yakshi and here like there's nothing that is so life and death with these characters right like you might end up murdering some bandits along the long road but that's really about it uh and that almost feels like it was just kind of tacked on as a reason to make this mission a little bit meatier than it was anyways but i i don't say that to be negative about it in fact i feel it's one of the strengths of the long road so as i'll i'll speed along to that point where after a while our character kind of realizes our hawk realizes what's going on and you can start to tease them about it um poor meryl once again she was in my party for this was the last one to catch on to what was going on mm-hmm. there's a really great dialogue where she's like oh you like donic don't you and i'm just mm-hmm. like god meryl how do you deal with demons on like a daily basis and you're still just like oh mm-hmm. um did, uh, fantastic uh did was there a point where Aveline like grilled your relationship a little bit did what sorry like she asks about your relationship with meryl uh in this part no and we Mm -hmm. can talk about that once we get to the the actual stuff in the meryl side quest because we can talk about the romance stuff there okay because there was a point here where she asked about me and fenris and oh yes no she did ask about me and isabella which i guess we're going to have to address at this point (laughs) (laughs) Mm, okay um well, yes with, so, with meryl in the room <laughs> so. yeah well i mean she she and i mean this goes kind of order, out of order because like our initial plan for the way that this was going to work out we were going to have already talked about the fenris stuff by the time we got here but when she asks about me and fenris my hawk just has like a moment of like dead silence and then like maybe our relationship is not the best reference point for you right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i had something similar with my interaction um so once we finally get that figured out we try to arrange uh i so honest honest question have you ever tried to arrange a situation like this where you organize a friend meetup only you're trying to get two people together because i've done these before and it is it never goes well i've never had one go well let me put it that way have, have y'all ever ended up in your personal lives a sort of situation where like here in dragon age 2 hawk decides to invite donic out for a night of drinking uh that's supposed to be with a bunch of friends and all that and really you're trying to get donic and aveline together i no, personally have not <laughs> no neither have i wow wow don't do it i I don't recommend it It, much like in dragon age 2 uh it ends up just being awkward because as we soon see um hawk and donic just kind of sit there and drink their drinks and aveline just kind of hovers in the background (laughs) throughout all of it um and i 
we we talked before about the way that bioware does physical comedy especially in mass effect 3 but this is the part where i was like oh hey they figured out how to do this with dragon age 2 because there's Mm. some stuff going on here with the way aveline is just kind of hiding in the background and being (laughs) like no 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 not yet yeah like waving her arms like nope nope yeah and disappears behind the bar yeah like some really great moments here uh and as as Aveline soon tells soon tells us she's not that confident. The place where she's really confident is out there on the mean streets, out there on patrol. So we have to in in what is basically a rom com plot at this point, arrange a patrol where Aveline and Donick are going to leisurely stroll through the wounded coast, you know, that romantic point, the <laughs> wounded coast. And we are going to go ahead of them and murder all the bandits that they would normally have to murder because apparently that's just like a thing that happens on the daily in Kirkwall. <laughs> um, and light signal fires to inform them that it's like like good to inform Aveline is good to move ahead as as we keep going. Um, all the while we get to hear Aveline's just terrible, terrible attempts at flirting, like just oh yeah she's how, still getting murdered out there even without she, the <laughs> this is the bloodiest thing happening out here right now absolutely <laughs> chase how did you feel about this section how do you like this section yeah i think like setting it up like a rom-com is the best way to go about it because like I mean, the comedic beats between like the combat and you like you finish and all your companions and you were covered in blood and then it's just her sort of like <laughs> hmm. so and then you gotta like Put the sword in cold water, and that's the that's the best way to forge a sword. Guardsman Donick, what do you think about blades? And he's like, uh, sorry, sorry, I wasn't p- paying attention. Excuse me, Captain. And she's like, mm-hmm, right. Yeah, it's just brutal. And you sit there, and if you're the kind of person who like starts to feel that empathetic uh, embarrassment for somebody, mm-hmm. you can just oh, feel Lord. your heart kind of like fold in on itself as she tries to talk to Donick again and again. It's it's very effective stuff. Oh. Ken, what about you? Is the did this one hurt? Did you feel that empathetic? Mm. I don't want to say, I don't say the word. I don't want to say the word because I hate the word. It wasn't that word, but it was no, not well, cr- it was not cringe. But uh, boy, it did hurt a little bit. <laughs> well, now I need to know what this word is. <laughs> um, I, so. He went, he literally is avoiding saying the word. I, I said what the word is. It was cringe. I don't like the word cringe. Mm, okay. I think it's a bad word. That is word. also cringe. Yeah. It's, I don't well, think it's a good word. Anyway, uh, secondhand embarrassment is like at least like number two on my least favorite things to feel <laughs> as a human being that has the capacity to feel emotions. So, yeah, this was not that fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so eventually we just get fed up and we're like look this is what's going on y'all two need to get get down to the town you know what town (laughs) i'm talking about who who did you guys have with you here because i had isabella which had a very excellent line Uh isabella's line was incredible i wish i had had isabella because i think i had like i think it was anders varick and merrill or something like that Mm. um and Anders has some good lines where he's just like, good God, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, where he's just like, can't believe what's going on. But man, after I played through it, I was like, 
oh, I really should have played through this with Isabella. She yeah, would have she had, had something funny to say. And I think she has, like, priority over everybody else in this mission, just because, like, this is, this is her, spe- her specialty, and she and Aveline, like, have this very, you know, antithetical relationship. So, like, there is, there's even a point at the, uh, like, in Aveline's office, like, when we're first talking about it, where they get, like, up in each other's faces, and, like, Hawk has to, like, come and, like, separate them and be like, can we focus on the task at hand here? But, yeah, she says, um, when, they, when we kind of, like, meet up with them, go ahead and bend her over a basin, will you? <laughs> God bless. I, every, every time we talk about Isabella, I start to regret the choices I've made and wonder about the road less traveled, the road not traveled. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I'm going to have to do some extracurricular research to keep up with that stuff as, as we move on through the season because I, I went with I went with what I knew and now I'm thinking about what I don't <laughs> that's that's where I'm at uh but once we get back to the barracks uh Donick wants to see Aveline and she's very worried obviously you know we are touching on all kinds of HR lawsuits that could be pending from this situation uh but then he uh he goes in and the door shuts and uh at least for me the door shuts and hawk kind of hangs out and then hears some some giggling going on from mm-hmm. inside and all that is like all right i'll th- this is my cue to leave and all that <laughs> um so i guess that's that's that that is the you, uh resolution there do y'all think that they took a trip to the bone pit <laughs> <laughs> They they took a side quest is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> they, is that what's they going on? They completed they completed a companion task. Um, <laughs> I mm. I think so. I Aveline, formerly married woman, you know, she's also she's the captain of the guard. She's got business to do. If mm. she's you know she's going to be expedient, she's going to get things done. But she's also not going to beat around the bush either. You know, mm. right? I do think we probably should touch on a sort of like alternate path that this quest can take which i mean we obviously didn't do here but if you're trying to pursue a romance with aveline you can do that in this mission and it obviously is relevant because of the nature of what's going on and it is like one of the first um examples of bioware really like giving you that character you can just never get um mm-hmm. yeah because like you, it, you can be flirting throughout the whole thing and then it kind of a lot of like passive aggressive like oh, maybe she's not right for you, but maybe there's somebody else. And then it'll end up concluding with, like, she will kind of, like, ask you if there was, like, a, you know, ever a point here that she that you might have felt something for her. And uh, you're not, you, you ultimately can't be in that relationship, but, like, you can just say to her, like, just be happy. And she'll even, like, kiss Hawk on the cheek. And, yeah, I just thought that was, like, interesting because that has become kind of, like, a staple of how romance works in these games like you have the opportunity to flirt with almost anybody but not everyone's going to reciprocate and mm-hmm. it was inter- it's interesting to kind of like watch i mean obviously again we obviously didn't do it but like if you go and like watch how this quest plays out like watching hog like fumble just as much as aveline is with donic trying to like get this person to notice them that you know it's like it's one of those things where it's like it's nice that it takes the power out of your hands that way yeah i i like this idea that you know, obviously, Bioware has since expanded on this idea that you can have a character that you can flirt with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to end up wanting to take a trip down to the Bone Pit, uh, or, or even that like, 
I think the the more interesting thing for me, I think Dragon Age does this better, uh, definitely better. Like I've I've always kind of felt that romance is done better in Dragon Age in general. Mm-hmm. As much as I like the characters and the romances in Mass Effect, I wish they would take some lessons from Dragon Age in that regard. But um, the the stuff with like Scout Harding in, in Inquisition, once we get there and all that, uh, I think the idea that just flirting itself can be a romance like pursuit, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like, okay, you have now activated the romance path and you have flipped the zero to the one and now you are proceeding along the romance path. It's like, you know, game design is trying to mask the fact that you are playing a system, right? That like everything is a series of systems and you are operating within those systems and it's all just binaries. It's all ones and zeros, right? And good game design makes you forget that you're <laughs> that you're playing that sort of thing that that is what you are doing and i think dragon age does take those extra steps to make it be like okay well yeah you can flirt with this person but it's just like it's casual flirting it's not going to lead anywhere or like this character is not going to reciprocate it's not going to work out like mm. sorry that's that, that's just how your story goes um i think that that works out really well um especially here with aveline because i it it would feel kind of weird if only for the fact that like if aveline and hawk were going to have a relationship and it's only just now being broached as a subject like you were Mm -hmm. able to flirt with isabella and meryl and other characters like pretty much as soon as you met them uh like fenris comes to mind is fenris or anders has like a flirt line like in their recruitment mission so does isabella i think Um, but i will say the actual like proper like portrayal of time is not exactly dragon age 2 strong suit anyway so <laughs> look look hawk just needed to work up the courage all right like get off get, get off hawk back you know they're trying to get it together it's hard well, it's hard out here <laughs> it, it kind of feels like like whenever you were a younger person and you had like a really good friend um and you never thought about them as like a romantic prospect until they got into a relationship and then you're like Mm. your mind all of a sudden you recontextualize that relationship and you're like oh shit and you feel like some pangs of jealousy and maybe they're real or maybe it's just like your weird like teen brain trying to like deal with emotions which it's not good at at all and then all of a sudden you're like oh hold on what if i wanted to be with you and that's kind of how this I know it's not exactly what they meant, but with this like weird time dilation and like this is the first time it's coming up, it kind of reads that like Hawk all of a sudden is like, I've been through so much with this person. Like we started mm. this life here in Kerwall together. What if it could have been us? Like we have so much like shared life Ooh. and like so much mm. in common. It could have worked out, but it's already too late. Aveline's moved on, and I think that also plays out in how it resolves because Aveline is very kind in how she turns down Hawk in the end. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like a friend would it's like it doesn't destroy the friendship she doesn't like uh, like take a step away and like no longer shows any emotion for fear of like uh leading you on it's just like we both know like how this would turn out right? oh pretty tasteful Chase. hidden you're hidden there oh <laughs> that cut me to the core a little bit <laughs> had Sorry, some maybe. had some flashbacks <laughs> have we all we're out here we're out here feeling emotions here on normandy fm we're all gonna later on we're gonna put on some my chemical romance and just get some of these feelings out of the way you know uh we 
we got one more Aveline quest to do, and this one's... it. If the previous quest was Hawk realizing that they could have potentially had feelings or a relationship with Aveline at some point, questioning beliefs is Hawk realizing that they might not always fully agree with Aveline, mm. or that they might not always be on the side of Aveline. And I think, for me personally, these these questioning beliefs uh quests i think every companion has them except yeah. for maybe isabella because no she does she oh she does okay yeah mm-hmm. so they all have them oh no the person who doesn't have one is Varric. Varric does not have one um mm-hmm. they they all have one in some manner uh throughout throughout act two and i feel like the general idea of them is to kind of solidify what side that hawk is going to come down on whether like friendship or rivalry but it also feels like it really solidifies what their stance is with hawk you know not just in a numbers game way but in a like are we are are we thinking alike or are we thinking in opposite of each other and aveline's is really interesting because for a lot of the missions up to this point aveline has kind of been tacitly going along with whatever hawk does and you know hawk's a smuggler hawk or if you went the other route hawk's a mercenary and like hawk does a lot of crime (laughs) and you can have aveline along for a lot of that crime potentially even though she's the captain of the guard which is something that in certain cases it's kind of hard to reconcile (laughs) but we haven't really talked about that too much um but here in this in this specific mission the entire conversation is different based on whether you are already in a, a friendship like a predominantly friendship or predominantly rival uh relationship with aveline and uh i don't think ken you're not rival i no, keep wanting to say rival mancing yeah you're you're friendshipping okay so we'll talk mm-hmm. about the friendship a little bit and then we can like briefly discuss the rivalry but if you are friendship you you walk in and Aveline's kind of going through the regular routine of the day, you know, telling someone I'm not going to wear that stupid armor and stuff like that. And, uh, Aveline kind of pushes Hawk to want to be like, Hey, you should take a position in the city. You should take a title. You should get a job. You should join the guard. Uh, basically she's like, you are, you have so much potential to do good for Kirkwall, but, she wants to like push you to do more and, and especially to like do it through proper channels and not necessarily through like vigilantism uh which quickly turns into like kind of this debate between the two of you of being like i don't want to do that versus like you know Aveline's like you can't just sit on your hands and watch as the city goes through issues like you have a responsibility and stuff like that uh, for me, I kind of played it off. I was like, "Oh, you know, I'd be, I'd be a terrible guard. You don't want me on there." And some, you know, whatever, haha, mm. pals, or but you can actually like get pretty into it with her. And if you were at a friendship point with her, you could probably swing it back to rivalry if you wanted in this conversation, because you can get really up in her face about the way that they treat mages in the city, mm. the way that. Um, Aveline is kind of making this about herself and about her own issues and stuff like that. Like you can really, 
really get into her face about this. Right. So, uh, Ken, like, how did you approach it? How did you feel about this kind of confrontation that we have? Right. I mean, I'm also playing, like, you know, the sarcastic hawk. So, like, I kind of played it off as well. But I also, like, the ways in which this conversation can swing, like, way to the other, other side always felt okay. kind of jarring to me. And, like, unless you were going to be, like, a more defensive hawk in the first place, I don't really see why you would... Like, what does she have to do with the treatment of mages? Like, that's not her, under her jurisdiction. And, like, it was almost felt like, I don't know, like, it was, she, she, you know, she talks about how she wants you to, like, take on a title and be an actual, like, face of the city that is helping. But I'm like, I think I'm doing okay and better as I am right now. And I don't really see much need in us being in each other's throats about it. Chase... Have you ever done the rivalry stuff for for this mission? Have you done the the Aveline rivalry stuff? I think I did the first time I played this game because I had such like a strong apathy towards anything mm-hmm. that she really was doing, and so like I decided like this seemed some of the prompts in this mission uh, or in this quest like really give you a chance to kind of put your foot down for the first time with Aveline, and so like mm-hmm. I took that route of like putting my foot down and kind of solidifying some thoughts about how I that first talk kind of was going to be played and this was the the mission that kind of allowed me to solidify those uh, yeah. positions and it it does sort of break bad between you and Aveline because like you come as come across as two very strong ideologues kind of butting heads here in this mm-hmm. office it's uh it's interesting because I think it's it's funny that you bring up Ken that that like the mages stuff hadn't really come up to this point it almost feels like that moment where you and a friend have kind of had differing views on the subject and you just mm. kind of have mutually agreed to not ever discuss it, like silently acknowledging that you two will never be on the same page about it. But then all of a sudden, like something, right. something cracks, something breaks. And then all of a sudden, like this gets brought up. It's like, okay, here we go. We're getting into it, I guess. And, and obviously I think I want to say with Aveline, at least that issue comes up again later. Um, I'm having trouble remembering specifically when it does, but uh, you know, Aveline ultimately is a character that's on the side of the the city guard that's on the side of, I guess we'd call like the state of Kirkwall. And once things start to run against those establishment, once things start to run against, you know, the, the governance of Kirkwall, Aveline is going to fall that direction. And then it's, it's up to Hawk, whether she gets pulled back or not, whether she, you know gets pulled to whatever side hawk is on uh and i think this is kind of the first <laughs> the first instance we get of that because up to this point aveline's been that buddy that came over from ferelden with hawk and and we went through those wacky adventures together remember aveline your husband died <laughs> and like um you know but aveline has also been kind of a constant she's like a a quest giver she is you know one of the companions who you have to have is mandatory to have her in the game you know she's not missable like say isabella or like able to be dismissed like fenris uh Mm. and i think this is this is some interesting friction because again the other other aspect of this is that when you look at a game like mass effect you know shepherd kind of always has the tacit like the, the tacit cooperation of their crewmates right 
even in Mass Effect 2 where you can have kind of fights happen between crewmates and you get involved and you could potentially have that go sour and it would sour the reputation of uh, of their loyalty with you, it still kind of comes across as, well, I'm still going to fight with you. I'm still going to, like, you know, be a member of your fire team. I'm just a little angry at you. Uh, here, it's like, oh, these characters are going to disagree with us, and they're going to keep disagreeing with us. It's going to exist for a while. It's going to hurt in the long run. Uh, again, just another thing I like about Dragon Age 2 that eventually plays out in spectacular fashion once we get to the end of this game, but mm-hmm. we're not quite there yet. Uh, just wrapping up, I guess, before we move on to the next character, uh, let's let's go to Chase and, like, I guess without getting too spoilery, because we do have people who kind of play along with the show, we don't want to get, like, too spoilery, but uh, what do you think about Aveline, like, really sets her apart from other members of hawk's party and and kind of makes her stand the test of time for you yeah uh it's two things that we've really hit upon already one is that like sort of that shared history um that she came to kirkwall uh from hawk's past life so that ties it's like if you and a friend move from like the same hometown to a big city and maybe you get different careers and you go off and you don't see each other as much, but that shared tie is, there's something indelible about that where mm-hmm. you're, you, you, if you get a drink somewhere, you, you'll have that to fall back on if nothing else. Um, and so whether or not you decide to build up a friendship with Aveline, that constant thread running under both of your lives is something that you can't get rid of. Uh, and I think really like helps prop up her character and the second thing is that she is someone who, in her personality, in her quests, in like just like we went through, um, even though it was a little silly, it was never melodramatic, which mm. uh, a lot of other characters will talk about Meryl, and Meryl's quests can at times get very melodramatic. Mm. Aveline never does, and I think that's a nice sort of... Uh, sort of like a, uh, a detox from the rest of this game, mm. and so like having those sort of quieter moments, uh, I it's not exactly quiet, but it doesn't hit the same sort of big uh, brassy beats as the other stories do really helps i think uh helps her fit into a, a nice niche within the whole party structure of this game mm-hmm. so let's talk about meryl now let's let's talk about mm. okay. oh i would say honestly one of the most dynamic characters in this game in terms of how much they change over the course of when you meet them up until like the the events that transpire by the end of this game like definitely up there with anders in terms of how how much this character ends up like just being radically different from the character you thought they were going to be when you first i know when i first recruited meryl i was like oh okay here's my here's my spellcaster haha they use spells and oh wait she's using blood what's what's going on there and oh no what's up with this mirror and oh god (laughs) it just (laughs) quickly gets out of hand um but also i think we we've critiqued in the past the ways that dragon age ties in its previous games and its previous lore and things like that often to a messy effect that does not really do it much service usually it's just kind of like oh hey yeah you played dragon age origins here's a little side quest where we go yep you definitely played origins here's what you chose to do there good job okay bye (laughs) like uh we've had a few of those so far but meryl feels like one of the times that dragon age really understands how to tie in 
previous games lore and previous games stories in a way that actually made me want to go back and just see that stuff play out and see mm-hmm. how it happens and like I mean that's that's ultimately like a great achievement if you can make me think of this game that honestly you know I was not that hot on at the time um and even now I'm a little bit more warm to it but I'm not like chomping at the bit to to get back onto an origins playthrough but if you can make me get far enough into a companion story that I go oh maybe I do want to see how this happens uh you've done a good job with your story Mm. (laughs) um Chase before we get into it tell me tell me your feelings about Meryl why why did you want to talk about Meryl um kind of diametric to uh to Aveline Meryl was the first time I played through this game I was like yep love her gonna romance her because uh teenage me just on the cusp of like I think I was out of high school when I played this game uh but still like younger younger mm-hmm. me was just like yep this is exactly the type of woman I like to fall in love with in video games <laughs> um <laughs> like innocent and like small and like uh, both in like personality as well as in like stature but like ultimately powerful with like a, a weird understanding of the world like yeah it's tropey yeah it's problematic in a lot of ways but damn it just it hit all the right buttons for a younger me and instead of like kind of falling out of favor with Meryl with time I have grown to love her for different hopefully more mature mm. reasons mm. Yeah. Um, and really respecting the kind of character that they were trying to portray here especially like you already sort of alluded to Eric the the fact that she is a blood mage that is not immediately and ultimately vil- uh, vilified in the game's mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, she starts out as like very much this manic pixie blood mage, right? And it yep. seems like she's going to be that, you know, Zoe Deschanel character, and she definitely is for like I would say that whole solid first act. Um, you know, all of her story beats are like oh i saw a mugging outside today and people were fighting for money that was oh that was strange wasn't it it's, it's so weird living in the alien say hello what it's like she's i think she says like is it how people in lowtown greet each other and you're like oh yeah oh. you're like meryl god and uh, i i remember writing it down for ken in one episode that we did earlier but there's an ambient dialogue that can happen between varick and meryl where varick's like daisy because it's like his nickname for her <laughs> He's like, Daisy, you've got to stop going through Lowtown in the middle of the night. And Meryl's like, why? Nothing bad ever happens. And Varric's like, yes, I pay a lot of money to make sure it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, um, it's, she's very much this sort of like, I, I feel like the game sets it up to be that sort of one-two punch that once we get to the story where, and I mentioned it to Ken, but when you when I went to visit Meryl's, house at the beginning of act two before i could even start any of her companion stuff i wanted to just go over and see if there's any dialogue stuff i could do to start the act i saw that the mirror was there in the corner and i was like oh right Mm -hmm. this uh Mm. this takes a turn and once we've gotten far enough into the main quest of act two we can finally start to learn about this mirror which is actually the alluvian from the brazilian forest from the dalish elf origin of dragon age origins uh those who recall when we were talking about it all the way back when we started dragon age the the dragon age season ken that feels like forever ago mm-hmm. <laughs> uh 
in the Dalish elf origin, uh, there's an alluvian that is discovered by Tamlin and Mahariel, and I believe also um, Mahariel is like the canon name for the warden, I think, or something like that. It's like the Ren. For, for the Dalish one. For the Dalish one, yeah. Right. <laughs> they they all have canon last names. The the Ren of Dragon Age Origins. Mm. Um, those two end up having a bad encounter with an Alluvian, uh, and Meryl was part of that Dalish clan. And I forget if we actually find out how... if Because I don't think the clan that we meet in Kirkwall is the same one that was in Ferelden. Unless they do, I, they ever explain? A, do they explain how that works? Because I, I, mean, I went a, through all the dialogues and stuff. So it was a different clan, like the, the one in the origin, the specifically the Dalish Elf yeah. origin. It's not the same one that we met in like the main story mission of Origins. Ah, okay. Um, but the ones that are here in Kirkwall are the one from the origin. Are the ones from the origin? Yeah. So okay. Like okay. That. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to figure out. Okay. So they they made the trip to Kirkwall once the blade started. Mm. Um, or sometime well, I, at least sometime within that first year because that would have had to line up with when you meet Meryl but uh, yeah as we learn Meryl has kind of been accumulating pieces of the mirror trying to repair it and make it work again and to make that happen she needs an Arulan home, which is a tool that the Dalish use to uh, work on these mirrors. And she wants you to accompany her to Sundermount to talk to her former keeper and, and try and get that. And this is where we kind of start to learn, because we, we really only got hints about it in that last uh, act, about why Meryl was being ostracized, about why everyone was looking strange at her. You know, we could have just assumed at this point that it, it had to do with her just being a little bit weird or something like that we don't really have explicit like story wise they don't really explicitly say except for when we're at the top of Sundermount that she's like a blood mage but um i have a feeling that that wasn't really touched upon too much but now we we learn that the mirror was the big point of concern and that the keeper basically was like if you want to stay with us you have to stop trying to rebuild this mirror and Meryl chose to mm-hmm. keep rebuilding the mirror uh and, and listeners will remember as we learned in the witch hunt dlc which is one of the important reasons for why we played it uh alluvians are big old sources of power they're uh they're quite dangerous uh they were relics from the time when the elves ruled all of thetis uh they would use the mirrors to talk to each other potentially do even more uh yeah this is a whole lot of bad <laughs> mm-hmm. this is like meryl pulled out a diary and was like this guy named tom riddle's been talking to me through it and i'm like oh <laughs> mm. <laughs> um man i don't know why i have so many harry potter references on the mind when we do these podcasts i swear to god i have not read a harry potter or watched a harry potter in like years but for some reason when i talk about dragon age harry potter comes to mind uh mm. So, right from the outset, we've got some more context. If we have Anders with us, Anders starts to comment a little bit on like, oh, cool, blood magic. That'll go well. That'll go super well. Everybody loves blood magic. Uh, But one of the things that is interesting, as we go, we, we talk to the Keeper, and they give us 
a task, which is, uh, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, verse, versulavanan, I don't know, something like that. Close enough. Basically, like a hero's task, a uh, hero's labor, uh, to do something for the people, and if we complete it, uh, Meryl is allowed to borrow the Arulan home for however long she needs it. And as we're going through killing this Varteral, uh, that that has been, you know, antagonizing the Dalish, we start to learn a little bit more about who Meryl was and why this conflict has arisen. So Chase, I want to kind of get like your thoughts on this in, in terms of like the reveal that Meryl is a blood mage and has been dealing with Alluvians and there's already some allusions to like demons and things like that going on. Like how did, how did your perception shift about Meryl in this, in this moment? Oh, you who had this manic pixie blood mage that all of a sudden turned into real ass blood mage. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you are for whatever reason playing through this series, uh, with the podcast for the first time, um, this series has a uh, a penchant for recontextualizing and trying to flip the tables on established knowledge, and that doesn't happen uh, any more so than with both blood magic and with demons, spirits, mm-hmm. whatever the nomenclature is. So, like, me playing with Meryl now with all the knowledge that I have from this series, I want to, like, think about what she's doing with something a, 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 a bit more sympathy and yet I know that like there's only she she doesn't have that same knowledge so like I don't know mm. it, it is yeah. hard this, this is what makes the going through this character and still trying to like maybe do a friendship with her versus like a rivalry so fraught for me is mm. uh I know the outcome and it's like trying to it's like watching a movie again and trying to uh, wishing that the character would do something different right for yes. a different outcome yeah right. and that's um, yeah and that's like a recurring I don't know if issue is not the right word to say, but like it's a thing that I struggle with when I play Dragon Age is that since we are moving from the different different perspective of different characters, I always feel like the next character that I play as ha- it has like knowledge that they shouldn't, if that makes sense. Like, like I yeah. make decisions based on the lives I lived as the Warden and Hawk. Like, there's a very particular... There, there are a couple instances in Inquisition specifically where I'm like, my I trust a character that shows up in that game based on my knowledge having played these other games rather than necessarily what my character probably would in like a natural series of events and that does make Meryl's sort of like you know deciding whether to be a friend or a rival to Meryl kind of complicated because like even up to this point like I as Hawk have not been given much reason to not trust Meryl with anything like I you know, like, there's even, like, you go in and you talk, she talks about the Illuvian, and, like, you are immediately given the opportunity to be kind of, like, very distrusting of this thing. And, like, when Hawk really doesn't have a reason to be, we do as the player, because we know, we know the nature of that thing. But it's just a weird thing that I, like, have repeatedly, like, had to deal with the friction of in the series. Certainly more that's, than I ever did in Mass Effect. Yeah. Um, that's something that I definitely felt too because, as I said earlier on this podcast, like I 
had not played any of the DLC for Dragon Age Origins back when I first played it. So when I played Dragon Age 2 and, and Alluvian showed up, I was like, oh, cool, Magic Mirror, that sounds neat. Yeah, let's go fix it. Cool. That's a, you know, Meryl, you, mm. you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, like, so much, like, I feel like that's why Meryl's, the ultimate outcome of her companion stuff, and, and you know, we're kind of alluding to it because it doesn't happen in this act, it happens in the next act, and it's much grander and much greater than than what kind of happens here but sort of paving paving the way for what's going to happen here uh but when i first played dragon age 2 i was definitely like oh support meryl you're you're doing great you're doing great sweetie you know keep it up let's make a magic mirror let's have some fun let's sure let's talk to demons and blood magic you know like i think people have always kind of frowned on blood magic i don't think it's that bad you know, if you can if you can do blood magic, good on you. You know, uh, so when that eventually turns and you kind of get shown like, oh god, like this is this is what the outcome has led to, and this is what my support has led to, and it turns out that like, hey, now I've gone back and played Witch Hunt, and oh, Alluvians are like serious business and not to be trifled with and you see that also in inquisition even if you don't play witch hunt you kind of see the extent to which a lot of this old technology can be used uh to cause great calamity and you you kind of start to understand but then it's the problem of as we're making these decisions here in this mission uh we're kind of having to choose whether we want to support meryl or whether we want to try and change her mind, right? Like, and, and it almost feels like an antagonizing position that you end up having to take with Meryl, where you're like, no, you shouldn't mm. do this. Come on, like, what are you doing? And I I already feel like this, this was the part where when I was messaging Ken about it, I was like, I was starting to feel the extent of how this friendship rivalry stuff works, because for the longest time, I'd always felt it was very much like, well, are we going to be best pals or are we going to be like bitter rivals and hate each other? It's not really hating each other, but mm. I feel like it should almost be called like su- support versus change. Like, do you want to help mm. someone continue to be the person that they are? Or do you think that they need to change something about their personality? Do you want to try and force that change upon them? Like, like in very literal right. sense, like force that I... change. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know that I necessarily like that sort of framing of because if, if especially when it comes to characters like Anders or Fenris, oh yeah, it's, it's like it's not it's not a one size fits all, right? And but I I gotta say I really wish they had maybe like pulled. I'm not I'm not comfortable with the length I have to go with Meryl specifically. Like with Anders and Fenris, it's like I can be like vocal that I do not support them and get the rivalry points with Meryl I have to actively interfere with what she so, wants to do so let's let's get to that point then so we can talk about it in less uh, vague language so as we go through this uh, this cavern one of many caverns that we've seen in Dragon Age that all conspicuously look the same uh, <laughs> we we gradually uh, find the, the corpses of hunters from the Dalish that have been sent to try and kill this Varteral and uh, you know, Meryl kind of mourns over each one and talks about them, and usually it's in the context of like, oh, you know, they were always weird about me, but, you know, I, I really cared about them, so it hurts. And we finally do actually find 
a hunter who's still alive named Paul, uh, who runs away from Meryl towards like he's running out of the cavern from which he was like escaping in fear sees Meryl and turns back around and runs to the cavern which like kind of tells you how the Dalish view Meryl and the way that she controls blood magic and the way she's building this alluvian like you throughout the whole mission here you're getting the sense that even while Meryl has been gone all this time her her tales about her have been told to children you know like don't be like Meryl don't do what Meryl does and so she comes back all these years later and everyone's giving her the stink eye <laughs> the, the side eye uh and before we can even save Paul uh he's murdered by the Varteral and Meryl kind of just breaks down about it and feels uh terrible and she, if you are a mage or if Anders uh, is in the party she can like beg them to bring pull back to life and and be like see you know, save him please save him um which i had anders with me and he was like it's it's already too late for him he's gone yeah. uh but but she you know it's we can either help her here and be like don't blame yourself or we can be like why was he running like why was he so scared of you that he wanted to turn around and run back into the danger he was trying to escape um and and basically mm. Paul thought she was a monster too and and your your companions can kind of chip in here and say different things Fenris and Anders are both very unhelpful in this situation mm. uh Fenris is like you are a monster <laughs> and 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 Anders is like oh well he saw a blood mage that's a pretty normal thing Isabella has a great line though where she's like sometimes men do this shit like she basically gives a men <laughs> but mm. men uh yeah. once again isabella best companion but <laughs> it's um we when we finally emerge we get we go back to the keeper and the keeper is basically like okay you completed the task um and and meryl demands an explanation and, and marathari's like look i told the clan to stay away from you and and like you've got darkness around you and if you abandon the alluvian if you say you'll stop building this mirror uh which meryl is like insistent she wants to reclaim the legacy of the dalish she wants to bring everything back she wants to repair this piece of lost legacy and she's not going to give up on it marathari finally says okay well i'm giving the arulan home to hawk and Hawk can decide whether you get it or not, and walks away. And hmm. that's kind of the choice we have at this point, is we've seen... So, and here's... Ken, I, I'm glad you brought this up, because this is another thing that I was kind of wrestling with. Knowing how this all happens, especially if we're on a certain track with this character, right? The idea of we are aware of how this all plays out. I've I've done the friendship with with Meryl before. I've done the friendship romance with Meryl before. At this point, I was planning to pivot to rivalry to to see what mm. that was, but also because I was feeling myself playing it this time. I was like, maybe she shouldn't have this. Like, maybe I need to hold on to this, before, you know, until we understand like what's going on with this alluvian. I don't know. 
what is happening here but something like we're clearly running into this instead of like cautiously approaching it and at this point i was going to pivot into arrival mance to see how that went but because i'd already hit 100 on merrill it was locked in so even when i denied the ruling home from merrill i did not <laughs> if you're not maxed out it actually straight up almost 180s your score with merrill so whatever mm -hmm. amount of friendship you had you basically plunge in the opposite direction into rivalry that way uh which is i think probably the largest swing in the game that you can have right uh in terms of a single decision but um there's this is such a complicated thing chase mm -hmm. tell me how you feel about this moment where you have to choose whether to give meryl their ruling home or not like how did you feel about it what choice i mean what choices have you made over your playthroughs and like how do you feel about this this conflict yeah um i I did give Meryl the hammer, um, and this is something that it's 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 something that I I think that the games don't do a great job, especially and specifically with the Dalish of addressing is the fact that they put the Dalish up as like the fantasy equivalent equivalent to uh, the series like Indigenous People, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and. Yeah not giving her the hammer is just like Hawk's involvement in what right. is mm -hmm. this culture's ceremonies mm. and beliefs and yep. saying like, yep, nah, I'm going to stop you from like trying to like dive into your own heritage, knowing how mm. dangerous it is or not should not has it obviously personally, it, it affects what the choice you want to make. But for that Hawk in that moment, it seems so cruel and, like a, a, a big old colonizer move to be like, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to make this choice for you and sort of yep. pat her on the head and put the hammer in your backpack and walk away. And I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. It felt so wrong. We're not a video podcast, but I'm like standing up now with my arms raised. Like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> what it fucking feels like. Because yeah. the thing that is so yeah. frustrating is like, okay, I always pursue the rival path with Fenris because doing that is simply vocalizing that you do not support his viewpoints, the things that he chooses to do, all that and that but I never you're never given an opportunity to interfere with what Fenris wants. Like you can not support him, but he's gonna do what he wants and then you kind of reconvene later and talk it out. Here, like if you so okay. I ended up not giving her the tool because it was the only way I like was able to kind of like express how I felt in the moment, but then like Meryl says, you, a human, are not going to give me the thing. And, she, and I'm yeah. like, apparently not. And then she's like, you have no right. And she's like, you're absolutely right. I do not have any right, but this is all that the game will let me do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that really is the choice that you have to make at the end of the day, because I mean, this is I, I talked earlier about masking the binaries, right? But there, this really is a binary choice at the end of the day. Like, are you going to let Meryl, like, the Right. If anything, like Marathari has made kind of a fucked up decision in this regard right. by like thrusting it upon Hawk, saying like, "Well, I'm not going to make this decision, Hawk. You do it, because she's your problem now." And like adds in this like extra context of, you know, she's already been removed from the Dalish in the sense that like she was, you know, kicked out of the clan and she's living in the alienage now. But now her own keeper is saying like, "We're not even going to." 
let this be a Dalish matter anymore. This is a matter of the people of Kirkwall, and the people mm-hmm. of Kirkwall are going to make this decision. And that feels like an extra, like, rub on top of it, like this extra burn on top of it. Like, y- you are the one who has to decide whether Meryl gets to yeah. dive into her legacy, and that, like, almost taints it in a way. And I... I wish there was, like, a third option that was, like, I'm going to give this to you, but I'm not helping you anymore. Like, I am washing my hands of this. But, like... Like, what if there was an option where you could walk away, like, completely? Just say, like, I'm, I'm not part of this at all? Right. And, like, so then like, you can maybe get still get the rivalry points, but you don't get to be this colonizing piece of shit that just doesn't give somebody the thing that is of their people. And just, I... Given... Because, like, ultimately not only in terms of, like, friendship rivalry, but, like, the very nature of the story that Meryl goes through for the rest of this game diverges here. And so, like, they don't... I guess they don't have... Or I guess they didn't write a way for there to be a middle ground there. But... What if... I Let me let me propose this real quick. What if there was an option to just, like, warn Meryl of, like, how dangerous this is and then, like, leave it on the ground and leave it up to her to choose whether to pick it up or not? Like, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I feel like that would be the middle ground in this situation. I don't know, but continue your thoughts, sorry. I would say, like, I mean, that this is, it feels like a moment where there should have been, like, four distinct choices that mm-hmm. maybe all, like, it was maybe, like, you can do one thing or the other, but your intent is vocalized differently. Because, like, one one is, like, okay, I support you here, here's this thing, or no, I'm going to deny you of this thing. There needed to be, like, I will give you this, but I'm washing my hands of it, or... I don't know what the, the fourth option is there. Like, what is it? What is the friendship equivalent of not giving it? I guess there isn't one. Maybe it's just. It maybe it does just need to be like this three part decision. But I don't know. Like I, I feel like maybe in a you know if this game had come out now as opposed to then, I think they might have had a little bit more care of that. But also like <laughs> Bioware games in general, kind of still even as recently as like Andromeda have this issue of like putting your character in this position where they are able to interfere with the problems of like entire cultures that they don't actually exist in i mean you want to talk about this recently i mean chase did you ever did you play uh not dragon age did you play greedfall uh no but i read plenty about it Mm. yeah so there is i mean spoilers for let's say about two-thirds of the way through the game or so of greedfall there's there's a point where you end up deciding who takes the crown of the native population of the island and yeah and you literally like you go and you forge the crown like it's it's all in the context of you want to have you want to install this leader who is going to be supportive of whatever decisions that you end up wanting to make and so yeah no it's not even thinly veiled like this is some straight up like u.s invading and and, and yeah and but i also there is like a slight (laughs) other sliver of context your character is amongst these people but they're like half like they're half of these people half like the colonizers so like they're your character your character is half indigenous half like they're i think your mother was indigenous to the island i forget what the name of the island is but uh, your mother was yeah. from the island, and your father was from the mainland. I think, or, or vice versa. I can't it, remember. It, one of the two. But they, like, they, they try and like give you that out, but also like you are still throughout that game operating on like the needs of the colonizing people. So it's kind of like they they try to give it an out, but they don't go all the way. So yeah, I have a feeling if we ever do a fan voted thing for like like Ken and I have talked about in the past where if we hit 
all the tiers that we've had, we've we've discussed the idea of potentially doing a fan voted uh, playthrough of a game. And I know that we've had people write in and ask before about Greedfall and stuff. So I'm just preparing myself for the day that if this thing really does keep going <laughs> at the rate it's going, that we're going to have to eventually talk about Greedfall at length, you know, beyond what we've already discussed in a previous episode on this podcast and just stealing myself for all of that. Because mm-hmm. it both, like Dragon Age 2, tries to really go after it and, like, you know, it doesn't play shy with any of these things it's not like covering up the idea that you're playing a colonizer or anything but it's also maybe not handling it with a level of tact or um subtlety not not subtlety like nuance let's say uh that you would hope to have from a game that tackles those subjects to begin with um shout outs to david cage (laughs) um but yeah that's it's it's an interesting thing because again i think we've talked about this before but dragon age always brings up the concept of the dalish but it never really feels like we delve into that stuff at at depth it's certainly never been a core part of the of the ongoing narrative until like the very end of inquisition and some of the Mm. dlc of inquisition is like in theory it will be soon yeah like if we are to believe the reasoning of what we would call the current series antagonist a large portion of like their motivation going into dragon age 4 would revolve around things with the dalish and with elves in general and i would really like to see how bioware tackles these issues because you know two and inquisition are really focused on okay here's Uh, the issues of different kingdoms and here's the issues of mages versus templars and here's darkspawn we're going to wrap up the darkspawn stuff and i think overall that stuff is interesting but it's always going to have this i think much more complicated and more nuanced and potentially like more interesting tension lurking in the background with the dalish and and this idea that they've they've always kind of been there and a lot of their stuff gets relegated to these subplots but it ends up being some of the stuff that really like you know it's i <laughs> this decision with meryl i had to like toil over it for a whole 24 hours i had to put down the game and walk away and come back 24 hours later and make my decision and be like okay this is what i'm going to decide like there there are tough choices in this game but this is one of the toughest i feel um mm. that that you face is like this decision and it it pinwheels into back from sunder mount which is we we come down from the mountain and if we helped meryl you know she's really thrilled and she's like awesome you know i get to get to work on the mirror and all that and if we kept it oh she's furious she's so mad (laughs) and i have not had um, a conversation with her since that did not end with her kicking me out yeah yeah and Here's, here's where we get into some game funniness, which is that because I was locked into the 100% friendship route before I kept the Arulin home from Meryl, uh, all of her conversations after this specific quest seem to think that I gave her the Arulin home. So that's just a weird thing, and it seems like it's a commonly known thing mm-hmm. that Dragon Age 2 just does, and that's just, yep. you know, there's, there's just not a box tick there, but this also then cartwheels into another her her own questioning beliefs quest which is 
if we're on the friendship side um she's having trouble dealing with the alluvian she's not really able to repair it even with the help of her new tool and she's kind of grieving for pole and feeling unwanted um you know just kind of overall just you know she's she's having a down moment we come in and we help her out and we talk to her if we're in the rivalry mm-hmm. oh buddy <laughs> we come in she's pissed the luvian's not coming together she's asking why the hell did you keep that tool why didn't you give it to me like i just want the dalish back um stop babying me stop looking out for me get out of my house <laughs> and um her her relationship just completely changes with hawk at this point if you are doing yep. the rivalry where before she was definitely that happy-go-lucky and that's there's such a night and day difference between a friendship with meryl and a rivalry with meryl that like if if you are friendship with her it's very much like oh meryl you're so great you're so much fun she's like yeah i'm just doing blood magic yay and then if you if you rivalry her it's like this like this constant tension and frustration and you like really get into these like deep questions of what role you're allowed to play in this and whether she knows what's best for herself and are you allowed to to baby her like the keeper did and oh man it's good stuff Mm. (laughs) it's really good stuff (laughs) um chase how did you how do you feel about the character at this point yeah um because i've never I've just never had it in me to rivalry Meryl. Um, I went back and I've watched some of those scenes. And Eric, you're absolutely right. Like the more interesting, and I think the more like maybe not from the standpoint of you as Hawk, but as you the player, the much more gratifying conclusion I think is a rivalry relationship mm. with Meryl because mm-hmm. it does bring in those like it starts to question in the text, in the sort of actions of the games, what role or what right did did you have for getting involved in making that choice for her? Mm. So it is i think yeah the the I, I i hesitate to use better but definitely the more interesting and i think the more gratifying from a storytelling standpoint uh decision to go into that rivalry uh route even if the way you do it is just absolutely fraught with some uh some real bullshit mm-hmm. ken what about you i don't know it's it's very i don't even know what i ended up importing into my like quote-unquote canon inquisition save because that was fucking six years ago um because i mean it is like i i feel like i'm never going to be able to have the relationship with meryl that i want to have and that is just by the nature of how the game is made and like the decisions that were made on that front but I'm, i'm just i'm trying to look out for her i'm trying to like do the own like i don't want to say like i'm trying to shelter her per se but like i'm trying to offer another perspective in the bludgeoned way that Dragon Age 2 will let me. So, I don't know, it's a very frustrating, like, I feel like I've been only given the tools to absolutely wreck this relationship in a way that's, like, it feels even more destructive than Fenris, who is, like, I I am a mage and that man hates me, and um, despite everything else that we've done, and I don't know, I'm, I probably didn't have these, like, nuanced feelings for it, like, a nine years ago when the game first came out but it is I mean it's just frustrating to me like I think that Meryl is one of the most nuanced and interesting and really dynamic characters of probably Dragon Age as a franchise and kind of feel like they did her dirty here not gonna lie 
I think the thing that stings for me and that I really wanted to get into um, with Meryl in terms of where I'm at my playthrough is that I, I, I'm once again doing the romance with Meryl. Uh, I am mm-hmm. locked in. so I, And that, that cutscene can play out after the questioning beliefs and all that where you go back to the Hawk estate and, and Meryl kind of comes to talk to you. And on the friendship side, it's very much like a oh you know i'm working away at the alluvian and it's so cool and oh let's talk about each other and like it gets into some flirting and then you kind of go back to the bedroom much like the the isabella scene was and again i did i did a fling with isabella where you can kind of have the romance scene uh which have we talked about that on on here yet i'm trying i, I, uh, I want to say i haven't gotten to that point um that i'll that just like been... I'll just mention that it was, it's a very fun scene and we can talk about it more when we have our, our Isabella guest on, but uh, with Meryl, part of me is almost going like, I want to see the rivalry stuff, and if I hadn't seen the rivalry stuff, I'm kind of wishing I'd gone the Isabella route because I think just years later, you know, it's, like Chase was saying, it's really hard for me to rationalize the desire to want to to do the things that would put me into a rivalry route with Meryl. But at the same time, the the relationship that Hawk has with Meryl in a friendship romance feels almost toxic, the way that it's like so unconditionally supportive, so bubblegum, so mm-hmm. like happy and and like it feels like their relationship is happening in a bubble that's separate from the things that right. are happening in Kirkwall. And there's and it's to the point where like Meryl has a lot of lines where she's like, Oh Hawk, you're so perfect. And I didn't think anyone could be as perfect as you are. And Hawk can mm-hmm. kind of like downplay it a little bit, but it feels, it, it really like highlights how naive Meryl is in a lot of ways, in, in ways mm-hmm. that made me feel like uncomfortable about it. Whereas if you're going the rivalry route, at least it feels like it's a person who, who has, like more more knowledge and emotions than just like undying worship of their lover mm. which is what the Merrill romance feels like mm. and i you know now i'm kind of interested to see how that pans out and you know how i how my feelings on it differ as the game goes on you maybe as as Merrill as a character changes and goes through some things that happen in act three specifically whether that's going to change my outlook on this character uh but I was just really surprised it was like we talked about it like way at the beginning of the episode but like the the idea that i'm playing the same romance that i did those years ago and and at the time i was like oh yeah it's a great romance it's definitely you know every meryl's the best love meryl and now i love meryl for completely different reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's been maybe one of the largest teaching moments i've had in playing these games and examining how i've changed as a person is seeing this stuff in a different light appreciating it differently for what it was um it's it's really interesting and i want to see where this goes because i still think i still do think that meryl is one of the most interesting characters in dragon age like you said ken but uh specifically the friendship stuff feels way too skewed in one direction but then the requirements to rivalry go so Mm. far in the opposite direction and yet somehow this character melds in a way that like so when i think about characters like let's you know look at morden from mass effect 3 okay like the idea that you can end up killing morden 
feels so completely out of character for who Shepard is. Even if you've played Shepard as a renegade all the way through Mass Effect and kind of been that gets the job done Jack Bauer style character, shooting Morden feels like the least Commander Shepard decision in the entire Mass Effect series, right? And I feel like we talked about it at the time mm. as such that we we're just like, why is this even an option? Why, why is, you know, it makes more sense for Morden. It somehow makes more sense for Morden to like either walk away or like die doing it or have some other thing happen than for Shepard to actually put the bullet in Morden's head. Um, and that there, there are decisions in Mass Effect that come up that kind of feel that way where it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to give me a binary here and I don't understand how I'm supposed to ever choose the other option. And while while the route to get to Meryl's friendship or rivalry does have one of those choices, I still feel like the the gulf and the, dif- the difference and the contrast between those two is so vast that you end up with this character who can have all these extremes and embody all those extremes and be that complicated type of character that still feels compelling and still feels singular mm. and still feels like this character that you want to really dive into and discuss and pick apart like we have here today. So I don't know. Meryl's Meryl's complicated. Can't wait until we talk about Anders. <laughs> um, mm. That's I, I mean, do we want to kind of sum up with chase? Like, you know, how do you feel about, you mentioned earlier that like Meryl has kind of changed as you've gotten older. Like how does Meryl stand the test of time for you now? Um, yeah, I appreciate Meryl because she does not stay that sort of wide-eyed puppy dog girlfriend that they set her up in the first act to be, and it feels like she would have been a much more compelling character and perhaps would have made, or been, she would have provided different options if they hadn't had styled her that way in the beginning, because, I don't know, I feel like they wanted that heel turn in Act 2 and then especially in Act 3 to be surprising Mm -hmm. coming from the kind of character that she is Mm. in the beginning, but it just feels like it's too incongruous. It's not not even a heel turn, it's just like two different character concepts that were slapdash together in order to make Meryl herself. So she survives for me um, because of the sort of interesting questions that she brings up in Act 2 and going into Act 3 and the way that it makes you... Uh, step away from the game for 24 hours to really gnash your teeth over mm-hmm. the decision and then mm-hmm. maybe once you make it steal uh, stay up late at night wondering did I do the right thing and I think any character that does that is uh, something special and that's why I continue to really love having her in my party and playing through this game with her yeah ah, Meryl we're, we're going to have a lot more to talk about with Meryl once we get into act 3 but I just want to say uh chase thank you so much for for coming out of the episode today we're so happy to have you real quick we want to shout out uh all our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash normdfm as y'all know we have a patreon that supports all the work we do here it keeps the lights on keeps that soundcloud running and we love to shout out the ones that donate all all of you are, are fantastic but we do shout out at a certain tier uh for those of you who hit certain tiers so kevin kulikowski Ginny Wu, chris johns anthony matthias alice hawk Colin, just Colin, just Reds, and just <laughs> will never not make me laugh. Uh, thank you all so much for, for contributing and, and to everyone else who does contribute. Even if you don't have the money to pitch in right now, uh, as long as you're following along at 
twitter.com slash normdfmshow, following us on all our different podcast services. We love having y'all as listeners. We love having y'all follow along with the playthrough. Uh, next week, we are tentatively saying that we are going to do the Fenris and Isabella story that we might have done, but it is also possible we might do Varric and Anders. Some things are kind of moving around right now, so our Act 2 has gotten a little bit more fluid. So I would say if you're playing along with us, uh, either listen you know, listen to the intro and we'll tell you which ones we're talking about right at the beginning before we get into any spoiler territory and listen at your own pace or if you just want to like use the free time that we all have right now to just bum rush through all the companion quests you can do that too uh but chase i want to thank you so much again for coming on it was so much fun finally having you on the show love having you on here yeah thanks for having me it's been a real blast one more time let the people out there know where they can find you where they can follow your work yeah best place is just to follow me on twitter i'm at chase writes at c-h-a-s-e-w-r-i-t-e-s excellent where you're always on that king shit yes yes uh we will hopefully have you back on for some inquisition possibly do you you got some inquisition takes in you chase oh for sure yeah um i'll save it yes there's fuel in that tank still oh good because that's inquisition is is a long game for us to get through and there's a lot to dissect in that game and we'd love to have you back on we'll talk about that once we get around to it because man that's like a that's a solid six months out at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's good insurance for this podcast. Play and, Inquisition, let me tell you. And we we've, we've already cleared uh, as we announced last week. We've cleared the goal to do Jade Empire as well, and we're pushing towards that. Uh, I believe Kotor is the next uh, mm-hmm. tier that we would hit. Which very interested to get to that game. So hopefully y'all can can push us even higher into new tiers and new territory you can even push us up to that tier where the the fans get to vote on a game and you can make us play greedfall and just really deal with that demon (laughs) (laughs) but for chase for ken for myself thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next time on normandy We have watched and waited. <laughs>